you ever noticed that when actor and voiceover artist Sam Elliott speaks, it seems he always has his head slightly tipped forward and to his right. My theory is that's how he gets that deep country voice. His voice is so mesmerizing that I think he could read what was once known as the phone book, and we'd be spellbound. All male vocal artists aspire to such heights of glory. In tribute to Sam Elliott and his amazing voice, we start our podcast. Hey, you're listening to Guad.Rocks, God the World and Other Things. Had you going, didn't I? Just having a little bit fun today. I tell you, I am mesmerized by the voice of Sam Elliott. And uh, there's no mistaking that man's voice. But uh, today, uh, in hopes of coming close to that kind of voice, we dedicate this podcast to Sam Elliott's voice. But anyway, in all seriousness, you've reached Guadot Rocks, God, the world, and other things. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. You can file today's podcast under the heading of Other Things. Our topic, Worm Duty. Subtitle, As We Get Beyond Ourselves and Become a Part of Creating Happy Memories for Others, Especially Developing Kids, Our World Will Be a More Peaceful Place. The place, Clinton, Maryland, circa 1968. I was awakened by my dad shaking my legs and saying, Kenny, pal, wake up. We've got to go. It's raining hard. we got to go out there and get those worms. With that call, we would spring into action, my dad, mom, sister, and I. We would get our raincoats on, get our flashlights and our coffee cans. Our mission, walk the streets along the curbs, shining our flashlights, looking for African night crawlers that were washing out of the soil in the hard rain. I really enjoyed those nights we would all go out in the rain picking up worms. As a kid, I didn't understand that the worms were not actually washing up, but crawling out because they didn't want to drown. They live underground, of course, but they breathe air. I don't know why there were so many large African nightcrawler worms in that area, but there were a lot of worms. I have never seen anything like that since. We would make a great worm harvest on those hard, rainy nights. Can you imagine what our neighbors thought about us as we took to the streets as a family in the middle of the night, in the midst of a downpouring rain, wielding our flashlights and coffee cans? The reason for the worm expedition was twofold. First, my father was a fisherman, so we were stocking up on his own fishing bait supply needs. Second, to stock the worm crates with the intention to sell the worms for a profit to other anglers. I can still hear my dad saying, do you know how much a dozen worms cost? The plan to sell the worms for extra money never panned out, but my dad got a big big kick out of showing his friends his worm farm in our basement. This is where things take a left turn for me. The worm farm consisted of several coffin-sized wooden crates that had been used to transport printing equipment 
from the Dahlgren Manufacturing Plant in Dallas, Texas, to the press shops my father had sold the equipment to on the East Coast. I guess you could say my father was an early pioneer of modern recycling. My father's earthworm farms consisted of a few simple things. The wooden crates, dirt, worms, water, and cornmeal. Since the worms lived underground, you didn't need special lighting. The dim incandescent light bulb in the ceiling of the unfinished basement worked just fine. The lids to the crates were kept closed unless you were feeding the worms or watering the soil to keep it moist. Feeding the worms was the big show my father would treat his friends and neighbors to when they came to visit. At feeding time, you would lift the crate lid, grab the cornmeal, and shake it liberally across the entire surface of the black, rich, moist soil. The soil was really black. Worms are great composters. After you sprinkled the yellow cornmeal, you could count to one, two, three, then, like magic, all the yellow cornmeal would disappear, like erasing a child's etch-a-sketch. Instantly, in a moment, before your eyes, bam, gone. What you couldn't see is that the soil was teeming with African nightcrawler earthworms. And when you opened the lid, the worms were conditioned to come to just below the surface of the dirt and wait for the cornmeal drop. I envisioned the worms' little heads pointing straight up just below the surface, their little, little worm mouths open wide like baby birds in a nest, pointed to strike the yellow cornmeal as it hit the surface of the dirt. Feeding the worms sounds benign except for one big glaring fact. The coffin-sized crates, filled with rich, moist soil and covered lids, were prime harbingers of cockroaches. They resided in the soil on the underside of the lid. When the lid was lifted, the roaches would scatter. There were a lot of roaches. As an eight- or nine-year-old kid, that really creeped me out. My father was a traveling salesman leaving the home on Monday morning and returning home on Friday evening. That meant on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I had worm duty. I can still remember the dread I felt as I walked down the basement steps, slowly making my way to the coffin-sized crates. I would lift the lids, letting the roaches scatter, then feed the worms, and dart back up the stairs as fast as possible with a bad case of the ickies. As I point this out to you, you may be thinking, Kenny, what in the world does worm duty have to do with advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world? Worm duty is one of the many happy stories from my childhood. Yes, even with the cockroaches in, involved, but one of the many happy stories from my childhood past that live in my soul that I believe help make up the fabric of a sound life, one with healthy memories shared with family and friends. In all my work with folks in need in our community, I'm most moved to action on behalf of kids who are growing up in hard places and lead difficult lives. I think about one blonde-haired little boy. You know, I was a blonde-haired little boy. I just realized that, the connection, that I worked with one day while substitute teaching I was doing that to work to bring in money for my family while I worked on my graduate degree. He was the only student in a portable building on the backside of the elementary school. 
His regular teacher, a really great guy, I had a lot of respect for him, had me come in one day before the, the, the day I was supposed to teach to show me the routine he went through every day in an effort to teach this one little boy who was about eight years old. The child technically was in a special unit for kids who were at the end of the discipline chain. Though most students that ended up there are not clinically diagnosed as ED, emotionally disturbed, by this time society had begun to shun labeling the kids with such drastic terms, but in reality this child was greatly emotionally disturbed. The teacher told me that since I was not licensed to physically restrain, that if the boy decided to run, to let him go and call the police. The teacher was a big guy who was licensed to restrain and just so happened to also be the wrestling coach at the high school so he could handle this little child and do it legally. The next day, I started off the class by telling the student that if he decided to run, I would not stop him and I would immediately call the police. The school was located on a busy front street and a side neighborhood street. A lot of places to get a child hurt on the run. So the entire day was tedious. As the day progressed, I worked to develop a relationship with the boy. At lunch, there in the room, I asked him who he lived with, who were his caregivers. In today's culture, it's sad, but you really can't ask a child who your parents are or do you live with one or both of your parents due to the fact that so many kids are being raised in so many different situations. He said he lived with his grandparents. I asked him to describe his room for me. He said he didn't have a room. I asked him why he didn't have a room. He said because his grandparents lived in a one-bedroom apartment. I asked him where he slept. He said under the kitchen table. I asked him how that worked. He said that he would put a blanket over the table and then sleep on the floor. Let me ask you something. If you had that kind of existence growing up, a little kid, your parents, for whatever reason, are not your primary caregivers, no bedroom, sleeping under a kitchen table at night, such a discipline problem that you have, that you're separated from the rest of the student body, I ask you, how do you think you would turn out? Do you see yourself growing up to all of a sudden be a happy, well-adjusted, well-disciplined, peaceful adult? Is it possible in spite of all of these hardships? Perhaps, but not likely. Watch the news, any news, and see all of the mayhem, violence, and heartbreak that is our cities, most of our cities. It is disturbing and grieving, but we are not without hope. Change and peace can come to our cities if we will start one life at a time, especially one child at a time, to show care, to get outside of ourselves and invest in the life of someone else. It can be something as simple as finding a pocket of your community that's in need and taking a barbecue grill and some hot dogs to that area of need and fire up the grill and pass out the hot dogs. If it's an apartment community, of course, always ask for permission first and find out the best location to cook the dogs. But I can tell you this, in all of my years of experience, 
I have never been turned away from showing love and care to the community. As we make time in our lives to be a part of creating great memories, happy memories for folks, especially developing kids, our world will be a more peaceful place. In one of our big ministry park events in the past, we passed out over 50 bicycles and a truckload of toys, literally a truckload of toys. In addition to all the food and the carnival activities that we provided for that community there for free. The prizes were won by raffle tickets, which had been passed out at the free registration. At the very end of the event, almost all the people were gone. A teen, about 17 years old, came up to me and asked me if I had anything to give him. All of the items we gave away were geared to elementary-aged kids. I told him, man, I'm sorry, but all the stuff has been passed out, and besides, it was all geared to little kids, and you would not have wanted any of these things. He said, that's okay. I just would like something. In that moment, I realized as I was talking to this teen, he didn't have anything and perhaps had been given very little in his life. He didn't come across as jealous or greedy. He was really needy. Once I processed what was going on, I told him, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I asked him if he liked remote-controlled cars. He said yes. I told him that I was going to go and buy him a remote-controlled car and that if I could meet him in the same place tomorrow that I would give him the car at that time. He said okay. I went and bought the car and gave it to him to the, ne- the next day. Will one act of kindness make the difference in that child's life? No. But you know what? It's a start. You see, we not only need to go once to show love to people of our community, we need to go again and again. Of course, some in the past have said to me, but Kenny, I'm not cut out for that. And to that, my friend, I say, find out quickly what your gifting is toward helping meet the needs of hurting people in the community, especially the children, and get on with it. You and I are are inheriting the communities of our creation. Let me say that again. You and I are inheriting the communities of our creation. Do you like the murders, robberies, beatings, drug dealings, rapes, destroyed homes, and poverty of your community that is swelling up around you and around me? Of course you don't. Neither do I. But hey, you are the difference maker. It takes caring humans, reaching out in difficult communities on a consistent, regular basis to see lives changed and our cities transformed. Give someone in your community a memory to live on, as simple as it may seem to you. If you are presently engaged in caring for others on a regular basis, great. You're to be applauded. But I also invite you and encourage you to be an evangelist for sharing the care and invite and inspire others to get off the bench and into the game. Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, he modeled that type of life. He went to the least of these. He met their real needs. He had compassion on them as a friend. It's what Jesus did. It's a good thing for us to do as well. You know, thinking back, to that large park event that I shared with you. 
Before launching that event, I met with a community leader who had been intricately involved in that geographical location for almost a decade and had built a quite a large following that grew into a local church. Once they outgrew the space available right there in that geographical location, which was a, a, a city street that had six apartment communities all lined down one side of the street. Across the street was one of the school district's elementary school and then housing. And when I met with this individual and told him what I was thinking on doing toward having what we called a Good Friday event, because in our school district, the schools were closed on that Friday so that kids were accessible at lunchtime. When I told him what we planned on doing, he said, it's, it's not going to work. They're not going to come out. On Good Friday, we also plan to have an Easter service or actually a crucifixion service where we honored the crucifixion of Christ on Friday night. He was crucified on Friday. And we were going to offer people bus rides to the event at a church, at our church across town. And he said, they aren't coming out for the event and they sure won't get on that bus. But let me tell you something, my friend. At 4.30 when the event started, it was a ghost town. I began to get concerned. Of course, as a minister, sometimes we gauge ourselves by what appears to be success. So I began to enumerate in my head how well I gave it my best. I did the proper preparation, but no one was going to show up. But in about 15 minutes, the non-existence turned into over 500 people that literally poured out of those apartment communities. And in addition to that, and all of the events we did to show love and care to that community, we offered them the opportunity to ride the bus to go see this special presentation regarding the crucifixion of Christ. We filled up four of those people mover buses. People were thrilled to come to something that we personally invited them to. And so I say that to share with you that God honors our preparation. God honors our work. And as we invest in the lives of people who, especially in the pockets where people are hurting most in your community, they will respond to true love. The people of today are very savvy to gimmicks and marketing techniques. If you go to them with anything other than pure love in your heart, they'll sniff it out and they will not respond. But when we show the true love of Jesus Christ that has compassion on those in need, then they respond. And I tell you, we need to go with open hearts and open minds because many times we think we understand what's going on, but we don't. And so as we go with an open heart and with an open mind, then we can learn what their greatest needs are and help meet those needs in Jesus' name. So as we wrap up today's episode, be sure to check out the show notes. There you'll find hyperlinks to our podcast home base, a hyperlink to access our secure PayPal uh, donation platform found on our website. If you have interest in, in donating to the ministry that helps make this podcast possible. And also our email address if you have a question 
regarding anything that you've heard on any of our podcasts, or if you would like feedback regarding a spiritual question that you may have. I'll be glad to read your email and respond to you as soon as possible, but please, if you can, keep your question brief. Until next time, my friend, I bid you peace.